Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right, welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Rodney Barnes. Rodney is a screenwriter and producer who has written and produced The Boondocks, My Wife and Kids, Everybody Hates Chris, Those Who Can't, Marvel's Runaways, Stars, American Gods, and he is currently the co-executive producer of Hulu's Wu-Tang and American Saga. Rodney, that's a lot of projects. What's going on? It is. I've got kids, and they keep getting hungry, so I have to work. It's um, it's not fair, but it's a good thing. Well, thank you uh, for taking the time to talk with us. Our listeners know that my first question is always the same. Uh, the question is, where are you in the world? Are you in L.A., New York? I'm in L.A. I'm in L.A. I was told a long time ago this was the only place to be if you wanted to be a screenwriter. I found that sort of kind of to be true, but I think when I was told that it was the 90s, there was no internet. There were no other ancillary sources of, you know, getting to producers and stuff. So I chose to come out here and live in my car and try to make a dream come true. Did you literally live in your car? I did. Oh, wow. I did. It wasn't purposeful, though. It wasn't purposeful. Something happened that made me live in my car. A promise was made and a promise wasn't kept. And I ended up in my car for eight months. Did you always want to be a writer? Let's take it from the beginning. Well, yeah. I think I always had a relationship. I come from Annapolis, Maryland, which is a small town outside of Baltimore. And um, I always gravitated towards writing, literature, the arts, all of that kind of stuff. But I really didn't, there wasn't like a bridge between where I was and where ultimately I hoped to be. And it's sort of, uh, I sort of got serious about it when I realized all other avenues were running out, like I wanted to be an athlete, that didn't work out. And any other job I had just didn't feel right. And I got an opportunity when I was in school at Howard University. I worked at Georgetown University as a campus cop. And they, a movie, The Pelican Brief, came there to, to film. And I signed up for all the overtime details. And I met a guy who was a PA, and he seemed to be a lot happier than I was. And I asked him a bunch of questions about how do you get this job? What do you do? And he offered me a job as a day player because they had some big crowd scenes. And I got the job. I loved it and quit my job at Georgetown and eventually became a production assistant working on movies in D.C. and Baltimore. And that was sort of the beginning, step one, into getting into the business. I briefly described kind of who you are, what you do. Uh, there are a lot of projects, and I know you write uh, and you also produce. Would you mind telling us in your own words kind of who you are, how you self-identify? Are you a screenwriter? Are you a producer? Primarily, I see myself as a TV writer, producer. I mean, I think that's where I started. That's where the door opened first, and that's what, if you look at my resume, the bulk of it is TV writer and producer. Um, although I've done a lot of script work on features, um, you don't get your name on those things. But you know, I have a pretty good business going in the feature world, and also in the comic book world. And I'm writing novels as well. So you know, the the top line, the headline is always writer, 
because I think story is the same, regardless of whether you're doing a short form or whether you, whatever form you're doing it in, it's all still telling story. But primarily, TV writer is uh, what I put on applications when I try to buy things. And which of those projects that I mentioned are you currently focused on at this very moment? Well, Wu-Tang is my day job. Uh, we are at Hulu. Ten episodes should be airing in the fall. Uh, we're actively in production right now. Uh, I think we start shooting February the 26th. And um, that's my day-to-day, but I have a bunch of have a couple of features I'm writing. I have a couple of comics I'm writing. Uh, I'm developing stuff. I have a pilot at Stars. I have a bunch of others in development. Uh, it's a lot of stuff going on right now. But the day to day is Wu Tang. Do you want to switch it up? We always have this thing we call a series of seemingly random questions, which we save for the end. But sometimes we'll just be like, "Let's do this at the beginning." Sure. All right. The first seemingly random question. If you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose and why? Tom Fontana, probably. TV writer who uh, wrote Homicide, Life on the Street, and Oz, and a bunch of other uh, one-hour dramas. Homicide, Life on the Street was the show that I loved in the 90s. Um, And it was shot in Baltimore. And coming from Annapolis, it was like uh, there was some emotional connection because I knew the world. And I've loved virtually everything that I've seen Tom do. I love the layering. I love the depth. I love the way characters of color were portrayed in women. And this was before it was kind of in vogue to think that way. And, you know, I, I always love picking the brain of someone who does something really well that I aspire to do well. And so Tom, oh, Tom and Paul Schrader. I think it features Paul Schrader. I don't know if I'm breaking the rules by giving two people. But <laughs> those two, um, and I actually met uh, Paul Schrader, writer of Taxi Driver and Blue Collar and a bunch of other movies and director as well. Those two guys, I think, framed the way that I wanted to, the stuff I wanted to do in television and film. The next question, what's one thing about your life and career that nobody knows? How lonely it is and how difficult it is. I mean, I think... Um, When I thought of being a writer back in Maryland, it was a pretty romantic idea. Like, you know, you just sit by the ocean and tell stories, and this would be great. And it is a great life. It's not a complaint. It's just more of an observation that there's so many hats as a professional writer that you have to wear. Like, you have to kind of be your own hype man. You have to discipline yourself. You have to create a structure in your life because, you know, Hollywood has this weird way of not really telling you the truth. They tell you the truth not by words, but by how many offers you get, your reputation. It's it's things that you can only control by how you behave. And if you're an undisciplined person, uh, which at times in my life I've been, you learn the hard way that that's not going to sustain you over time. This is a marathon, you know, this business. And even though you're going to make mistakes and there's nothing you can really do about that part, the more you can build that self-discipline and self-awareness, I think uh, the better your odds of success. And for me, that was, I've trial by fire. It's like, um, I didn't know all of this. You know, all I thought was you wrote stories and they gave you a check and people, people looked at you, wow, you're a writer. And people say all the time, man, you're so lucky you get to do what you love. And 
I kind of frown when I hear that because it's like, yeah, I love it, but the idea of it never being the script of the story never being as good as it is in my head is something that makes this difficult, builds the resistance to actually doing it because you want everything to be perfect and it never will be. And that's a tough one if you care. So, and I do. You said that a story can never be perfect. Sometimes that perfection blocks writers from finishing their stories. How do you battle writer's block? Uh, I keep going. I think um, I know myself well enough to know that when something isn't working, if I stop to ruminate on it too much, I'll just stop. I'll find something else to do. I'll go to the movies. I'll distract myself in some way. I'll, I'll procrastinate. And I may not have the second act fully realized. Like, I know what I, I kind of sort of want to say, but I don't know exactly how I'm going to say it. So I'll just keep writing something like bad. And then I may know how I'm going to end. And somehow the process of continuing helps me go back and put the pieces together when I don't have it. But yeah, I can, um, I can procrastinate with the best of them and that resistance <laughs> that you're talking about. It comes up and it haunts and the insecurities. I mean, especially, you know, my mind is one where I will find the worst thoughts of myself to attach to whatever it is that I'm doing. Like I wrote a comic book, uh, my first comic book a couple of years ago. And the first couple of books weren't very good. And Twitter has a way of telling you exactly how they feel about your work, oh, yeah. like immediately, and you will hear it. And they, and I, I think there's that boundary that's created because you don't have to see the person, that it's unfiltered, that they can tell you just how much they hate you and your work. And my feelings were hurt. And it, actually, the publisher at the time told me, uh, you're going to be hated. And I'm like, I hadn't even done anything yet. How, you know, how am I going to be hated? He was absolutely right. But I got better. They got better, and you sort of have to learn to deal with that inner critic uh, and know that everything's not going to be great. You got to be able to take the good with the bad, but I'll always gravitate towards the bad as my reset. It's not something I'm proud of, but it's how my mind works. Our next question If you could be any Marvel superhero, which one would it be? Part two If you could be your own superhero, create somebody, what superpower would you have? Wow, what superpower would I have? Selfishly, it would always be flight. Because, you know, I, it's not a Marvel character, but you know, Superman was my first. And so that was, you know, flight was always a thing. But, you know, it's weird because I think superpowers, you know, I'm working on a book right now, Quinn Credible for Lion Forge. And what I've come to find about superpowers is that are that they isolate you from the average person. It's sort of like um, being different in a way. And unless you have a pantheon of other people who have power similar to you, it sort of puts you in a place where you're an other. So if I had a power, it would have something to do with my mind to where it wouldn't be obvious. It would be something like, uh, I guess, Jean Grey, Phoenix, and the X-Men. Something to where I could still move amongst people and still be, still have a connection to other people and just have my power when I needed it. The last seemingly random question is, how do you stay organized with all this stuff on your plate? Do you have an assistant? Do you project manage it all? Like, what's the, how do you, what's the secret? 
Well, Carlos, uh, my assistant, does a pretty good job at uh, reminding me of things and putting them in my calendar when they're due. And I have a manager and I have agents who say, hey, remember that thing you were supposed to do last week that you didn't do? You better get it done. (laughs) There's that. There's a structure of sorts in place, but I'm pretty good. It's funny, the older I get, the better I get at being accountable. In the beginning, it's funny because with writing and things that you're emotionally connected to, for me, you don't look at it like work all the time. You look at it sort of like... um, like a relationship with a project. It's an emotional thing as much as it is a practical thing, which actually makes it harder uh, for me. So in the beginning, I would kind of, it would piss me off when people would give me deadlines or when I had to be completely accountable to something because I wanted the space to be able to do it when I, in quotes, felt like doing it, like when the spirit hit me and the passion. But, um, you know, I got to a place where discipline kicks in And you realize that when you want to do bigger projects and you want to do them in a place where people can depend on you, because dependability is a big aspect of how this business works. And again, it goes back to reputation. Are you a person that can turn things in on time? Do those things work? Do they look like they're rushed, et cetera, et cetera? So over time, Carlos, the infrastructure, discipline, et cetera, et cetera. So we usually frame our episodes around themes. Uh, For yours, we talked about hearing about writing from our screenwriter's perspective. Are you ready to talk process and craft and all that fun stuff? All right. Sure. The first question I have is you are a writer of comics and TV and feature films. What's the difference in the approach and the process? I really approach all of them the same. I think... Selfishly, the things that I'm more connected to emotionally, like some of the comics, the stuff I'm doing for Image coming up are horror comics, and I've always wanted to do horror, so I have a tendency to, it's like eating dinner like a kid, where you want to eat your dessert first. I want to do the funner stuff in the beginning, but I approach it all sort of the same. I mean, if you're talking about process, how do I break them down, like synopsis, outline, that type of thing? Is that what you mean? Yeah. With everything, I sort of get the synopsis down of the story that I'm trying to tell. This is what I want to do. And then I take that another step and I break that down into an outline. This is how I plan to go about doing it. I fill it in somewhat. It was funny in Stephen King's book on writing, you know, he talks about not blowing everything on the outline because you never know what you'll find when you're writing a story. I sort of split the difference in that because. I need to know where I'm going in order to have the confidence because midway, if I start to wonder, that insecurity will jump in and I may wander off and question whether or not this is a a journey worth taking. And then I, um, after I finish the outline and I go over the outline four or five times and I sort of built up, this is where I'm trying to go, I start going there. And I've never written a good first draft in my life. And anytime I think it's a good first draft, I know it's not a good first draft. I'll say it takes at least eight or nine drafts before it starts to look like something that's good. My pilot at Stars, I've written over a hundred times. Easy. And that's that process goes from whether I'm doing TV, feature. Comic books are different because it takes five or six times before I think it starts to make sense. But Generally, a lot of that has to do with um, 
focus. Like there's some areas that I really know the story and I can hone in on areas that you can tell, you know, he really had a good time with this. And then there are times when it's like, all right, I may not know this character as well, or I may not know, I may not have the second act down as well as I think I did. And I'll come back to that, like when we're talking about writer's block, the process of continuously needing it and needing it like dough until it feels like uh, it's not a story anymore. It's just one experience. And that takes time. And whether it's a comic book, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a feature, that I give it all kind of the same amount of love and attention. You're a producer as well on some of these projects. Um, Mm -hmm. How would you differentiate between the two? Is it for all? Is it for some? And and what does it mean? To lesser graded degrees, like I had a producer credit on my wife and kids, but I didn't do a whole lot as a producer. But on Everybody Hates Chris, I wrote a lot of the voiceover um, that was in the show. For those who have watched Everybody Hates Chris, Chris Rock's voice was in the show kind of, you know, uh, narrating the course of the journey of where episodes went. And I would record that with Chris. I would write it. I would take pictures from other writers. I would take him to ADR. and We would actually go through it together. And then I would place it in the show with the showrunner and uh, the production team. And that's what I look at as producing. I would also be on set for my episodes and I would work with the director and and the actors with making sure the vision that I had in writing the script was coming to fruition in a way that I had hoped or the way I'd envisioned. And for every show, it's different. I mean, I just did American Gods and I think we, March 10th is when we air. I could be wrong. It could be the 19th. But I was on set a good portion of the time, even for episodes that weren't mine, uh, working with the actors, working with the directors, the practical part of putting a show together. And it varies for every show. You know, sometimes that those responsibilities are given to other producers. And sometimes it falls in my lap. But You know, that term producer is a pretty loose term because it could apply to a myriad of responsibilities. You mentioned a pitch earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. How often are you pitching your own shows? How often are you hired to just write an episode? When do you pitch? I'm probably pitching about six or seven times a month. And that's an ongoing process. And like for some projects... Like there's a movie, a big movie I'm sort of attached to right now and that I can't talk about. But I had to go in and pitch the producing team. I had to pitch the director. I had to pitch the studio. Then once I start writing, they decide they want to change the idea. So I have to go back and do that same process again and again and again. So, you know, and then it's the same for us, a couple of TV projects I'm involved in, too where I'm overseeing and some that I'm actually running, but I'm constantly pitching. Pitching is, and I don't like pitching. I don't like pitching at all. It's the hardest thing to do because you never know whether or not, my best pitches are when I don't care about what the person across from me is thinking and I'm just focused on the pitch. But invariably, you do have another human being or many human beings sitting across from you judging you're trying to read their faces and you're trying to stay in your head of what you're trying to say. It's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not good. Is there a secret to the pitch? 
Is there one thing you can do to make sure you get that thing greenlit? No, I'll, I'll say my success to failure ratio has a lot more to do with me being able to just be one with my pitch and not with the anxiety of being in the room and thinking about what the other person is thinking. Because you never know. Like there's some producers, there was this guy at Lionsgate I was pitching to one time and he was just stone faced. And they told me in the beginning, like this guy will give you nothing. So you make a joke, no reaction, you know, and if you get into that, it'll throw you off. You know, it'll, it'll send you spiraling down into the abyss of despair. But if, when I stay in me, you know, when I just stay in, this is what I'm saying. I thought it was funny. It worked for me (laughs) and I keep going. Then I'm in a place where I think the odds uh, grow exponentially. And that's sort of, um, that's what's worked best for me. And certainly in the past four or five years. What's the percentage of pitches over the phone versus in person? Oh my God, 97%. uh, I think I've pitched twice in 15 years over the phone. Oh wow. Yeah, mostly it's all in person. Mostly I have to drive to a place and it's like that drive of Shane back if it's gone poorly. Yeah. And usually those are the days where there's the most traffic. So you get to sit in your car and just <laughs> uh, think of all the ways you could have done it differently. And maybe if I had just done this, maybe if I had just done that. But yeah, 98% of the time I'm in front of someone talking. What's a day in the life on set look like for a writer of, let's say, TV? <sighs> I'll say the average day for me is getting up really early because you want to be there for blocking when the director blocks and the actors go over their lines for the first time of the day. And that usually takes place really early in the morning. And like for American Gods, because we did mostly when we were on stage, we would start like 6, 6.30 in the morning. And typically it's a 12 or 14 hour day. And you're just there all day. What do you do to spend the time? Are you working the entire time? Are you, uh, no. Okay. No, you're not working the entire time. That's the frustrating part. That's why, I, you know, there used to be a time where I loved set because that was where it really happened. And they have cameras and actors and they say words like action. <laughs> Man, this is exciting. And to a point where now I have very little desire to go to set. And mostly because it is, you know, it, it's... If you're shooting eight to 10 scenes a day, you basically have to be there for the setup and again, to watch the blocking and go over the lines if an actor has an issue or if uh, the director has an issue, but you're an insurance policy. They could do this without you the majority of the time. And I think even though I enjoy the process of watching it come together, I'm sitting there thinking of all the things that I have to do. And unless I can bring my work there with me, which I have seemed it's a good idea, but it's never worked out that way. You're just there the whole day. Hey, everyone. We just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support. The Writer Experience podcast has been self-funded from the beginning. So whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast or just enjoy hearing from professional writers, please donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash writer experience. You can also go to our website, writerexperience.com, and click the Patreon button. Thank you again. We really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. 
Tell us about writers' rooms. I imagine for many of these shows, there are writers' rooms with many other writers. What kind of writer are you in the grand dynamic of writing with multiple people? Wow, that's a good question. It's changed over time. In the beginning, I was a frightened fawn lapping up water by a river, hoping (laughs) a hunter didn't shoot me. And I've sort of evolved over time. I think it's had a lot to do with, in the beginning, I was primarily a comedy writer. So I'm trying to be funny. That's a horrible thing to try to be. Because you're in a room with people and everybody's lobbing jokes in and everybody's trying to top the other person. And, you know, it can it can go. Every day is different. You have funny days. You have mean days. You have all kinds of days. And I think now that I've written drama for the past five years, I guess, primarily, it's a quieter experience. It's a, a more thoughtful experience because I'm more of a, I guess, a senior level writer at this point. Um, more of a leadership thing comes into play where you're trying to uh, keep the ship moving, where you're trying to anticipate where there are problems in a story or what's working, what's not working. You know, I, I like it better today than I did back in the day. In the day, it was, um, it was tough because I think for me in the beginning, I brought all of my insecurities to the table and fear. And every day I would beat myself up of, did I say enough? Did I do enough? There's a show or two where I just didn't fit and they were doing something that I just couldn't key into. And those are miserable experiences. There haven't been many, but it's been a couple. But by and large, when you find a room of people who think a particular way, it's the greatest thing in the world because it's almost like you can express yourself openly and freely in a way you really can't do in the real world. It's a unique thing. But when you find a good one, you find a place where you fit. It's nothing better in the world. We've asked this question to our listeners on Twitter. Curious to get your take on it. What's your favorite part of the writing process? Creating the outline, developing the characters, backstory, world building, dialogue, something that I'm missing. My initial reactive uh, (laughs) answer is finishing. (laughs) Uh, Some people answer that, yeah. Yeah, it's like when you get it done, I mean, getting that first draft done always feels like, okay, now I can start because that's really what it is for me. It's like once I get through one, now the process can begin because that first vomit draft is just that. It's just a collection of ideas. You know, the world building stuff starts in my head way before pen goes to paper. And the character stuff sort of is connected to that as well. So. A lot of that process takes place long before, like shortly right after the idea. So for me, just being able to um, get through that first draft uh, is the closest I can get to an answer. Because I know now, okay, I've got a collection of paper. It's not very good. And with each, each iteration of story process and all of that stuff, watching it come together and be closer to the thing that was in my head originally. That part's the part that I enjoy the most. Tell us about post-production. Is there a role for writers in the post-production process, or have you moved on at that point? No. uh, For most of the episodes early on in the process, but even for the shows at the beginning, like Wife and Kids, uh, well, for Chris, I had a lot to do with post-production, but for each show, 
it's different, but primarily for my episodes, before I started producing like I am now, I would always be in post. I would always be in with the editor. There would be an editor's cut, but then there was sort of a writer's cut in between two before I went to the showrunner, and I would be part of that. But oftentimes I'm part of the editor's cut as well. Like you're the first line of defense that you're sitting with your episode and you're working with it. And um, that's kind of cool too, you know, to see this thing because I'm not really romantic or idealistic when it comes to being a writer. But I will say that there are moments where you see the imagery for the first time all assembled together and not in dailies where you, you go, wow, you know, I wrote that. You know, there's this connection between the IT and seeing it come together. That's kind of cool. How do you get your next gig? Obviously, you have a lot of gigs. How did you get all these and, and how do you get your next one? Word of mouth. It's funny because I always worry about the next gig. I always worry that the last gig is the last gig I'll ever work. And I've been that way since I was a PA. And most of it is now I kind of generate a lot of my own stuff because. A lot of the comic book work I do, I create, I'm looking to set it up at different places and and I do that. But the primary gigs come from people hearing about me. And I had a project with um, the Bruckheimer folks, a pilot, a few years ago. And that experience uh, went well, even though the show didn't get picked up. But there was someone, there was a recommendation um, that was made. I think... uh, The biggest way, the thing that changed my career from comedy to drama was uh, I wrote a pilot. A director director befriended me, and he had an idea for a show, and I kind of took over, and I wrote the first drama pilot I had written, and it ended up going to HBO. And again, that show didn't get picked up, but it became the script that the agents could send out that people wanted to meet the guy that had written the script. And so that's how I got vinyl. It was on the second season of vinyl. They got that to HBO and Scorsese's people and all of them. And that was my first official drama gig. But it came from a spec script because I don't think Hollywood really buys writers as much as it buys voices. And if you can separate yourself from the pack with your voice, like I had an interview not long ago with a show, a Netflix show, they were looking for a senior level writer. And the guy, really nice guy, not because he said nice things, but he just seemed like a really nice guy. And he was saying that, you know, every year I get a stack of scripts from um, agents for prospective writers to hire. And they're all good. They're all solid. You know, everybody read Robert McKee and everybody went to college and all the words are spelled <laughs> correctly and all of that. He's like, but there rarely do I find a voice. And he said, in your script, I heard a voice and I just wanted to meet you and just tell you how much I appreciated your writing. Like I, in talking to you, I hear you when I read your work. And I think more often than not, I've heard that from people who've hired me that they were looking for my voice in their show. They wanted somebody that could do that thing. And so I think always having original material um, that speaks to who you are and what you do. That's the best way to sort of um, make a name for yourself in this. And if you look at guys like, you know, the Jordan Peels or Ryan Coogler or 
anybody, you know, name anybody who sort of has their own world, who's kind of fashioned their thing. I think oftentimes it just comes from doing something that's different that works. Like I remember I had a pilot with Jordan Peele at Comedy Central a few years ago, and we're talking about horror films and how much we love horror films. And he starts pitching me this idea about, you know, the black people are like separate wives and this, and he's really clear in his pitch. And I'm nodding my head because it's the thing that you do. He said, oh, man, that's brilliant. That's great. And I was walking to my car thinking, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> and then I saw Get Out. And he was pitching me Get Out. That's crazy. And I could never have written that movie because that's not what I do. And when I look at the trailer for Us and, you know, the trailer for Twilight Zone and I see his stamp on things, he has a way of looking at story that's different than I do. And it's his original way of telling a story. And it's, you know, it's got some Hitchcock elements to it. It's got some other filmmakers, some things that, you know, uh, I'm sure he's inspired by. But it, under it is his original, unique, creative, genius way of telling a story. And I think for each writer who finds that for themselves, like there's something that everybody out there has that's different than what I have. And if that thing can work and entertain people, there's a place in Hollywood for you. And the last five years or so for me has been honing and needing that in myself and trying to find a way for me to be closer to myself. I think I mentioned to you earlier when we were talking, my first couple comic books weren't very good. And the reason they weren't very good is I was writing outside of the story. I was trying to do something great instead of just telling a story. And the more recent work, because I learned from my mistakes, has been closer to things that are emotionally impactful and meaningful to me. So I'm writing sort of to myself. I'm writing about myself. And I'm revealing things that are secrets about me on the page through other characters. But you can feel them in a much more honest way. And so when I'm speaking about your voice, that's what primarily I'm talking about. I'm talking about being true and honest and in ways that I think people can feel. And the more people feel, I think the more you're, you're creating a, an empathetic relationship with the audience, where the audience wants to come back. Certainly in television, it's an empathetic thing because you want people to connect with your show and to come back week after week after week. You're asking a big commitment of people and to invest. And I think the best of my work has been when I've connected to themes and ideas and thoughts that are honest and true, rather than trying to just um, be competent. You know, you can tell the difference between things that matter to me and when I'm just trying to tell a decent story. And I'm not as emotionally invested. Something about emotion and truth, I think, brings something out of a person, a writer. Can we talk nuts and bolts real quick on a script? When you're writing, let's just say a pilot, what's your process uh, specifically? Do you work with an outline and come up with the arcs first and work your way backwards and then dive into the script? What's your kind of... I come up with, like, uh, my pilot at Stars. they just ordered a second script. Because they, they like the first one. They want to see how, how does this thing progress? And they want to show Bible too. And so what I found works for me is, all right, how do I want this to feel? 
what's this episode going to feel like? And for the one that I'm writing now, it's love. And one of the main characters is a kid. And there's a girl next door that he's in love with. And he wants, you know, throughout, we talk about that process of young love and how that manifests itself. And the show is set in the 80s. In the 80s, the music they listened to, the things that they did, the clubs they went to, roller skating, blah, 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 blah. And so once I have a general idea down of what I want it to feel like, then I start blocking it up. What are my act breaks? What's the journey of the story going to be? Where do I want to land? Where am I going? Where am I starting and where am I going? And then I start to fill that in. I look at each character. I break that down into where does each character go? You know, in the beginning, this character felt this way. And what does he want? And how does that want manifest itself throughout the story? After want, what does he do? And I think breaking it down from each character's perspective and each character's journey is where I start. And then I sort of, through that process, to that soliloquy I just gave, it's like I try to find myself in that. You know, how did I feel when I was in that character's position attempting to do the same thing or something that was similar? And that sort of guides me through what's under the scene. And then I see it and I try to empathize with that character's journey. And that helps me fill in the action of that scene. And so then I start, you know, the detailed outline, because when you're doing it for a network, you got to turn it in. They've got to see and sign off on what you're doing. And I'm also working with an actor and a director, too. So they have to sign off as well. So probably about an 18 to 20 page outline of uh, what the episode will be. And uh, same thing for a pilot. And put as much detail, dialogue. It's damn near a script. I mean, the script for this show is anywhere from 48 to 51 pages. And the outline is 20 pages. So pretty detailed. Pretty detailed outline is where I end up with. As far as comics, which we haven't really gone into yet, what's the difference in the process there? Do you work the same exact way? Comics, the comics are different where, you know, when you're working with an editor, uh, you have to write a detailed synopsis of where you're going in the beginning. So they have to approve. Like each arc, I've, the incredible arcs are five issues. So I have to write a five-issue breakdown of what each episode issue will be. And once they approve that, that's pretty much 40% of the work because it always changes. So, like today, I have to write an issue. I'll sit down. Most pages uh, turn out what comic book page is one page of script for me, sometimes two. And I'll sit down and just look at the uh, outline that I gave them, and I'll break it down. And I'll break it down into typically six panels uh, a page, and the action, the dialogue. You know, it's it's a little different in comics because one of the hardest things in the beginning for me was to imagine how the art and words supported each other. And then I had to look at how something sounds. And my biggest mistake in the beginning, uh, people got me on dialogue because I'm writing jokes that I hear coming out of characters' mouths like in television. And when someone's reading them, they're sort of reading them in their voice. So you don't have, like Chris Rock saying it, like I do in my head, because I've seen Chris Rock say it. 
they're saying it, they're hearing it in their voice, in the way that the relationship they've built with that character. So I had to learn to um, say things in a way that didn't um, deviate from the characters that they had known. And I had to learn to let the art tell the story as much as the words, because I was basically regurgitating what the viewer or what the reader was already seeing, if that makes sense. It's like someone's punching somebody in the face and I would write, then he punches them in the face. And it's like you're kind of being redundant at that point and you're not making the most of that panel because you're just repeating. You're not giving anything more. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you learn the hard way by making a mistake. But in that mistake, I learned not to do it again and to ultimately do it better. But comic books are tricky because, especially if you're dealing with um, sensitive material, everybody's got their idea of what right is, you know, what truth is and how a thing should come out. So sometimes you're battling people's points of view. But if you just tell the story, you know, I found incredible. If you just tell a story and you tell a story from your heart, people tend to give you some slack. What's the end goal for all of this? I mean, obviously you're very accomplished already. Are you planning to move into directing? Are you going to work your way up as a showrunner? What's the... No, I mean, I'm already, you know, running some stuff and doing some stuff. I mean, I think it's more of, there was television in the beginning that made me want to do this. Like there were shows that gave me a certain feeling, uh, X-Files, uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, for if you got to be really old to remember that one. But, you know, there were, there, there was just television and stories that I wanted to tell. Like, you know, I'm kind of digging the true detective right now. And I've always wanted to do that. So I think it's mostly, in the beginning, you're working the jobs that want you. Sometimes you get lucky and you do something. Like, I really wanted American Gods because I'm a gaming fan. But sometimes you get jobs just because, you know, you want to write. And you need to make a living. And I think now it's getting closer to creating shows that telling the kind of stories I've always wanted to tell that reflect the things that inspired me and being part of a community I've always wanted to be a part of, you know, the horror genre mystery community. And the closer I can get into that world and kind of leave an imprint, you know, legacy to do something that people can look to and say, hey, I really enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the process of telling it. That's sort of where I'd like the future to go. You know, I'm fortunate in that, yes, I've been working consistently for 20 years. And that's a blessing. But I think the more I can get closer as I, you know, come down to, as life winds down, if I can get to a place where I'm defining the nature of the work and not necessarily just being a, a part of it, that's where I'd like to be. Is there one piece of advice that you have for aspiring writers who are maybe looking to get their foot in the door, so to speak? Yeah, write your own stuff. Refine your own stuff. Again, I think original material is key. A lot of writers talk to me. They're looking for like a magic answer. And the one that I give them never seems to be, never seem to be pleased with this one. And it's always keep writing. Because it feels like if you don't have someone there validating you or giving you money for it or giving you a job, it feels like sometimes, why am I doing this? Unless you really enjoy the process of writing. 
I think the more evolved you can make your writing, the more refined you can make your voice, the more confidence you can build in your work, the more opportunities come your way. And I wish I had written more. There was a period in my life between teens and early 20s where I didn't do any writing. And I wish I had because I think I'd be better even today. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing now, I could have been doing earlier. But I think I got so caught up in looking for, I need an agent, I need this, I need that. I needed, you know, I was looking outside of myself for something that really existed inside of myself. And I wish I had developed me more. So I think developing your ability to write brings out a certain confidence so that when the opportunity comes, you're ready. Because the worst thing is when you get an opportunity and you're not ready for it, and you got to start back again at the end of the line. So I think writing, continuously writing, is the best advice that I can give. My last question is the most important question. Brace yourself. Uh-oh. Did you have fun today? Oh, come on. Please. <laughs> uh, this is the best part of my If I could start every Sunday, if you guys needed like a third <laughs> host or whatever, and I could come every Sunday and, you know, like five minutes with Rodney. I think that would be the perfect way. <laughs> Maybe we could do a, a small like mini section, get you on for a few yeah. episodes. Let's do it. There it is. There it is. Cool. I'm open to it. I'm, <laughs> I'm guaranteed to have another job in two months. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, well, you work on a lot, so we definitely want to get you on in the future too, because I'm sure you're going to have tons of projects that you currently can't talk about that you yep. will then be able to talk about. Um, yep. Tell us for those things you can talk about, Again, what's on the horizon? Did you want to plug any projects specifically? Maybe even your social media handles? I think Twitter, I'm at the Rodney Barnes. I guess what I'm most excited about is American Gods Season 2. I'm uh, starting in a few weeks here, I think, March the 10th. Excited about that. Wu-Tang in the fall. Quincredible for Lion Forge comes out every month. That's really about it that I guess I can talk about, talk about. But if we talk again, like you said, I'll be able to talk about other things. I'm holding something in my hand as we're talking. I'd love to be able to talk about but I can't talk about it. All right. It's frustrating. All right. We'll wait for it. We'll be patient. Um, but go. we're excited for you. And, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Congrats on all the successes. And thank you for your time. We had a lot of fun and a lot of insights for our listeners. So thank you, Rodney. And uh, You're thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.